and you circle around in that column of air and you climb and you go up all the way to the cloud base. And then with the wind to your back, you head forward so you can cover more distance. And the, the game is to see basically how far you can go. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 16, Hang Gliding. Hey friends, this is Kurt Linville with a special request. We're looking forward to bringing the Adventure Sports Podcast full of all those amazing stories about a wide variety of adventure sports to you for many years to come. To make that dream a reality, will you help us by telling all of your friends about the Adventure Sports Podcast and encouraging them to do the same? Also, go to iTunes, leave us a review and rate the show there, and last, if you go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us, you can leave us an email address. That way we can contact you from time to time, share with you some of the behind the scenes goings on with the Adventure Sports Podcast. We can get to know you a little bit and you can get to know us. We look forward to that and thank you very much. Now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a really cool show for you today. Our special guest is Doug Haber. Doug Haber grew up in New Jersey, and around the age of 25, he took up the sport of hang gliding. That led him to move to Nags Head near Kitty Hawk on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and he was a hang gliding flight instructor for 10 years. He coached over 40,000 flights with 8,000 students, and then he also took up tandem flying and did that for several more years. Today, Doug has a photography business, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And Doug made it his personal mission to correct the world to say hang gliding instead of hand gliding. <laughs> and so, Doug, <laughs> welcome to the program. Hey, Kurt. Glad to be here. That's a great way to open it. It, it, it is my life mission. It's just something that's always got me. <laughs> <laughs> So, Doug, uh, take a few minutes to give more details about yourself to our audience. Well, you know, Kurt, as you said, I, I grew up in uh, Cinnamons in New Jersey. Um, I uh, loved, loved living there as a child, but uh, I think somewhere when I was uh, probably about 10 years old, I, I used to watch the Dukes of Hazard, and uh, I kind of grew a love for the South. Uh, as I got older, I had a job at Radio Shack. Uh, as a salesman, and um, I ended up uh, getting sent to the South through that job by winning, winning a sales contest, and uh, I haven't left since. I love it. Well, when you say the South, I imagine it conjures a lot of images for people, but you're on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, so how is that unique from the South? The whole Outer Banks is basically driven by tourism. It's kind of a modernized uh, Southern 
atmosphere. But uh, all, all of my favorite things about the South, uh, um, I like to say the manners of people and uh, the way people speak, yeah, that's all evident here. So it's, it's kind of like a Southern hybrid area. Nice. And of course, for those who aren't familiar with it, the Outer Banks are a string of islands that go along the coast that help to define the intercoastal waterways. And um, it's just a delightful place. Really, really neat. Doug, let's talk about hang gliding. That's why we're here today. Why would you encourage people to try hang gliding? Well, for me, Kurt, it was, uh, it was a dream come true. And I used to have dreams as a child, and you'll hear this often if you speak with people in the sport. Um, I would be able to close my eyes, and I would, you know, I usually had my arms out, never had any craft or vehicle or hang gliders or anything in the dream. And I would, I would be able to fly from room to room. Uh, I've even had multiple dreams at the same time when I would wake up in my dream and I could still fly, and, and ultimately I was still dreaming. It was, it was with me as long as I can remember. And when I took my first flight, I think I got about two and a half inches off the ground. It lasted for about three seconds, and it changed my life because um, for somebody to have a dream, uh, such a powerful dream come true right in front of your eyes like that and to and then go on to do more of it and, and actually be able to teach people and share that, boy, it's life-changing. It's awesome. You know, I share your dream. I've often dreamed of running over hilltops, and as I get to the downhill side, I just launch. That's funny you say that because I, I spent a lot of time as a young person uh, racing motocross, um, and I used to love to go over jumps and double and triple jumps and I did it in New Jersey for many years, and um, you know, I, I was kind of living my flying dream at that point because you know you launch off a forty foot jump and you're in the air for quite a few seconds, and uh, I just never had an idea that it would turn out that I'd actually have wings on my you know connected to my body to do that. But uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting you mentioned that. Will you give us some more details about hang gliding? Most people have never been close enough to a hang glider to know how it's all rigged and, and how you attach yourself to the thing and, and what it actually does, uh, the way that it works. Can you give us a little bit of information about that? Sure. The way hang gliding first started out was uh, they would make these vehicles out of uh, bamboo and cellophane and duct tape. The construction was just very simple. And, and they were getting this idea from a man named Francis Regalo, who's really the, the father of hang gliding. Uh, there are some disputes on if it was him or, or another person, but he, he really was instrumental in this. And his hang glider was basically, a, uh, there was no structure. It was just basically a, a parachute shaped in the form of a, you know, an airfoil. And uh, that, that information got out over time. And when everyone started building these, it was just bamboo and cellophane and duct tape. And then it turned into conduit tubing. And there was a lot of kits and, and things that were uh, being put in the back of magazines. And people were making their own hang gliders. Uh, some people became manufacturers it was quite risky, and th this is where hang gliding gets its um, its dangerous side because in the beginning, it was extremely dangerous. Um, now it's just like any other action sport, but um, it, was, it was so dangerous that 
you know, people were, you know, there was fatalities regularly. And they eventually put a, a, a hang gliding manufacturing association together and they started doing testing. Nowadays, since that's all happened, um, a hang glider can go forward. Their, their G-forces are amazing. They can do loops. Uh, they're designed to be able to flip over and recover. Uh, the, the materials, and this was a big concern of mine when I first got into it, I was afraid that the thing would break. So yeah. uh, at my job, I ended up having access to every single material, which is Dacron, um, lightweight aluminum, uh, stainless steel cable, cable with Nikos, all these, all these parts, uh, I was able to take and put them in a vise and cut them, break them, bend them, rip them, tear them, pull them, stretch them, everything you can imagine. And when I was done that, that's when I first made my decision that going up high um, would really be fine as long as I was educated and, and, and knew how to fly the craft. So, Doug, it's interesting that you were an instructor right there near Kitty Hawk, where the Wright brothers first flew. And uh, what was that like? What's the connection, do you think, between hang gliding and what the Wright brothers did? Oh, there, there's a huge connection. When the Wright brothers came to Kitty Hawk, um, they had skills building things. They had a bike shop. They had strong mechanical skills, but they had strong knowledge of the wind, and they came here because of the wind. Uh, they needed wind to glide the way that they were trying to put a motor on the on you know the, the airplane. Eventually, they, they needed that wind to help generate enough lift along with what the propellers were doing. So they studied a lot of uh, records from you know weather service and they had a couple places pinned down but they ultimately came here and that's why you know they teach hang gliding here that's why it's world famous because of that wind now one thing that people don't know about the wind and hang gliding is you do not need any wind to fly a hang glider if there's no wind you just need to generate enough speed whether that's jumping off of a cliff or being towed up with a winch or an ultralight, or just running fast as possible. Um, it's a lot easier when you have a slope uh, to be able to run that fast and get enough lift over the airfoil, but um, it, it can be done, and I've, I've done a lot of very interesting things with no wind and even a tailwind. I don't advise that. But, um, yeah, that, that connection here, uh, it, and it's also very interesting. I'm glad you brought this up. When I was a kid, I learned uh, that, you know, Kitty Hawk was where the Wright brothers flew. Well, when I first got here in 1993, I found out that the Wright brothers memorial, which is the landmark to signify the first place of, you know, heavier than air powered flight. It's actually in Kill Devil Hills. <laughs> and so what happened to Kitty Hawk? <laughs> Kitty Hawk. Uh, and Kill Devil Hills had, um, I'm not sure how you really say it, but Kitty, uh, Kill Devil Hills incorporated into its own town and basically took the area that was originally Kitty Hawk. Okay. So it took me a long time to actually figure that out, but it was somewhere in the 50s or 60s. Um, so it was originally Kitty Hawk where the Wright brothers flew, but now it's, it's Kill Devil Hills. You know, I have to say one more piece of trivia. I visited the memorial area there, the the monument to the the Wright brothers, and learned 
fascinating enough that one of the Wright brothers lived long enough that he saw um, Armstrong step onto the moon. Yeah, that's 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 a neat story, and I have a connection there. Um, and you know, I don't remember which which brother it was, um, but the uh, Francis Regalo, who I mentioned earlier, was the father of hang gliding. When I first met him, he had actually met that Wright brother, and he said to me, he said, Doug, he said, you just shook the hand that shook the hand of, I'm not sure which one it was, Orville or Wilbur Wright, and that was amazing. So he, he, he did. It must have been amazing. What, a, what an adventure to figure out how to get humans off the ground and then watch that industry develop so quickly into manned spaceflight to the moon. Wow. What a life. You know, and I, I want to bring this up, too. What Francis Regala was doing was he was trying to make a recovery system for the, um, for the capsules. When they would send the rockets up originally, for some of the younger listeners, um, the, the capsule would be the last thing left. All the engine components would, would you know, fade off and drop into the ocean, and then you had a capsule, and they had to bring that back. And Francis Regalo was using his own design uh, that him and his wife had, had conjured up in their kitchen um, to basically bring this capsule back in a controlled manner. It could be steered, and they could you know, flare and slow the capsule down and bring it back safely. And that would mean that they wouldn't need a parachute, which they were planning originally to drop it in the ocean with a parachute. Well, things didn't work out. That's a really long story, but eventually they used the parachute. But that's really where the sport of hang gliding grew from, from his, his work. And he continued on and used the wind tunnels, I believe, at Langley in Virginia. And, uh, and he gave that patent to the world to do this, and I'm very grateful to him. And eventually they did turn it into a glider with a space shuttle program. That's right. That's right. Good point. Well, hey, Doug, tell us. An amazing story. We want to hear about the experience that hooked you on the sport. Take us there. Make us make us be there like we're right next to you. Okay. Just ending up in 1993, I, I spent a week down here uh, in Nags Head and at Jockey's Ridge where Kitty Hawk Kites is and took my five flight or my five lesson package, I think, and had a blast. And I was so excited. I wasn't very good. I definitely wasn't a natural by any stretch. My instructor, who was uh, named Lisa Alexander, I'll never, never forget her. She was a doll. She said, you have so much passion for this sport, you should come back and teach next year. And, you know, if somebody said that to you after your first couple lessons, you'd think they're crazy. Um, but she recognized something in me, uh, the love of flight. And um, long story short, I, I took her up on that. So moving forward to 1994, I came down uh, sometime in the, in the spring. I had to get some credentials. I had to get uh, CPR and first aid. And I went through the instructor training program. And, and I wasn't doing so well. I wasn't figuring it out. Um, I knew that I would do well with the teaching aspect. But I was, I was just having trouble figuring out how to fly and I got kind of frustrated, and at one point I had everything packed up in my vehicle, and I was driving by Jockey's Ridge on the way out, going back to New Jersey, and I looked over, and the winds were blowing east. 
that's from the east. Uh, some people get that confused. They were coming from the ocean towards Jockey's Ridge, which is the um, the largest it's the largest sand dune on the east coast. It's a it's an amazing place. And when the wind blows against that sand dune, it pushes the wind up. And if you launch off of there with a hang glider, you can actually soar and actually gain altitude to a certain point, you know, maybe 50, you know, 75 feet above the dune and, and just soar just like a bird, you know, soaring over a building and just sitting there and just, you know, hovering. And I had not been exposed to that um, firsthand. That was the first time I had actually seen the soaring part. And I stopped the car. I got out. I looked over there, and it turns out it was a pilot named Bo Hagwood. He's a great friend of mine, a wonderful guy. I can really thank him for um, for changing my, my uh, direction. He stayed up for, oh, I don't know, an hour or two hours. <laughs> and wow. I pretty much stayed and watched until he came down. And I said, there's no way I'm leaving. I, I All I got to do is just figure this out. And, and um, that's what changed me. And, and uh and changed my life because it put me here and you know 20 years later here i am still still in the outer banks so it was almost game over i mean minutes it, it, it geez yeah if i had li- if i if i had lived a couple blocks more north of the location uh, i would have never dri- driven by there and seen it so it was uh yeah it was uh it was a fate kind of thing just had to catch the right wind it was perfect when it when it blows east like that People go out on the sand dunes and, and the, the dunes along the, the ocean, and they soar them. And um, when you fly by somebody renting a house for the week, and they, they see a hang glider flying by the dunes and going back and forth and staying up for hours, uh, we get some pretty interesting reactions. Uh, people's minds are blown when they see it. They have no idea. They're looking for the motor. They're looking for a helicopter. They, they have no idea how it's working, but it's all about east winds. It's anti-gravity, right? Yes. <laughs> of course. <Pretty> much. <laughs> so what is a hang glider flight like? I mean, what would you say is kind of an average of, of a hang gliding flight? In terms of time? Yeah, time and height and distance and, and the experience. What does it feel like? Well, for those of uh, listeners that have had flying dreams, it does feel exactly like your flying dream. Um, I kind of relate it to maybe ice skating on the smoothest possible ice with the sharpest blades possible. Uh, It's a floaty feeling. Uh, It is not a high adrenaline feeling in its purest sense. I mean, you can turn that into a high adrenaline sport with speed racing and and, uh, looping and things like that. But just um, in a relaxing flight, it's peaceful. It's calming. it's, uh, it's, It's a real magic trick. It, it just uh, just talking about it, it's very emotional because I, I'm thinking about flying right now while I'm talking to you. I just I just want to go and do it. I, I haven't got a chance to fly in a while. Um, I think if somebody wants to know exactly what it felt, I think they should try to go to sleep and try to try to dream about what it would be to be an eagle or be a bird. And then when they go take their first lesson, they're gonna they're gonna have that same experience. How high have you gone on a hang glider? I've been to 10,000 feet. Um, I got towed up uh, with an ultralight uh, to 10,000 feet. Uh, a lot of people have questions about, you know, can you breathe up there? Uh, do your arms get tired? 
Does it get cold? Uh, for, for the first couple questions, it, it gets about three and a half to five degrees colder every thousand feet. So at 10,000 feet, yeah, it, it was a lot colder. Oxygen levels start to get to the point where you might need some, um, you know, an oxygen tank to kind of add a little extra oxygen once you start getting around 11, 12,000 feet. Um, but I didn't have any problems uh, breathing at 10,000, and uh, I was a little cold. But at 10,000 feet on a day like that on the East Coast, there's not a lot of thermal activity at that height. So I, I, I came down, you know, rather quickly. The toe up was probably longer than the flight down because it was just basically a gliding flight down. But uh, you can, it's neat. The towing operation that I did that, Kurt, was uh, about 34, 35 miles from Jockey's Ridge. And I, I could clearly see Jockey's Ridge from that altitude. It was, and I could see the whole Outer Banks, um, which it, when you see the Outer Banks from the air, it's really hard to believe that people live here. It's, it's literally sticking out in the ocean it doesn't look like a big deal at 10,000 feet it's neat that's fun the kindness diaries the new book by leon logothetis the global adventurer motivational speaker and philanthropist is now available The Kindness Diaries chronicles Leon's travel around the globe fueled only on the kindness of others. Visit www.leonlogothetis.com to learn more about Leon's adventures and look for The Kindness Diaries anywhere books are sold. Hey all you mountain biking enthusiasts out there, come be a part of the 2015 CycleFest Colorado on May 16th. The CycleFest is a day of festivities supporting the Colorado High School Cycling League. All of the proceeds go to support cross-country mountain biking in Colorado and Wyoming. Special guest Sonia Looney will be there leading an afternoon ride for students and also speaking as a special guest at dinner that night. The dinner is at the American Mountaineering Center in Golden, Colorado, once again, May 16th. You can buy tickets at www.coloradomtb.org. That is Colorado, M as in mountain, T as in trail, B as in bike.org. Come be a part of the fun. Will you share with us uh, a story about a time when things did not go right? And the reason why we ask this question is because people always want to know, you know, what do you do when things don't go well? But there's another side to it, and that is that there are listeners out there who very possibly could learn from you something that could save a life someday. So talk to us about a time that things didn't go right. How did you manage that? And what advice might you have for our listeners? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I have a great story. I want to preface it with hang gliding is traditionally known as an extremely dangerous sport, uh, almost a daredevil sport. Um, it, 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 it has become more of just simply an action sport. Sure, it could be fatal. More people have probably died on the way to go fly somewhere than in the car than they have died in an actual hang glider. It has its risks, but the secret to keeping it safe is having the experience and um, having a good instructor and flying good equipment and following safety procedures, just like an airline pilot or anyone else who takes up to the the air, you know, or the sky somehow. But with my my bad day, 
in a hang glider. I was in Florida, and and, and really, I only have one story to tell you, so I that's that's all I can offer. But I was in Florida. I was taking a um, what we call a cross country flight, and basically, what they do is they tow you up into the air with an ultralight, and they drop you off at about two thousand feet. That's about standard. And you want to do this on a day where there's uh, some puffy cumulus clouds because they actually mark the uh, the updraft where the heat is going up. I call them thermals. Uh, some people call them updrafts. And you circle around in that column of air and you climb and you go up all the way to the cloud base. And then with the wind to your back, you head forward so you can cover more distance. And the, the game is to see basically how far you can go. Uh, the world record... Boy, I don't even know. I've been out of that part for a while, but it's you know three, four hundred miles that uh, a hang glider pilot has traveled without a motor, just simply using the wind, you know, to push them further along the ground, and using those thermals to keep climbing, and 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 flying forward. They obviously lose altitude. They hit the next thermal. They go up, and then they continue on. And we use birds. We use clouds. Sometimes you can be flying and you can see, you know, spiders and, and spider webs and, and debris leaves popping up right in front of you. And, you know, there's a thermal there. So I'm playing this game that day. I was going to try to break my uh, – I wanted to go 50 miles. I think I had done some a bunch of 25-mile flights. Um, wasn't really my thing. There was a lot of people much, much better than me. But that was my goal for the day, 50 miles. So I, I take to the sky. The thermals were good. I was getting you know great climb rates. Uh, got up to cloud base right away. The wind was blowing nice, so I was able to cover a lot of distance. And I'm having a great day. You know everything's going good. My instruments are telling me uh, my climb rates and just feeling good. I was in the groove. Well, as I got about oh I guess about 30 miles away, I noticed there was another hang glider. And there was many out that day, and I could see that they were actually, um, it was a tandem fight. It was actually Bo Hagwood, the, the, the man who, uh, you know, got me hooked earlier in the podcast here. But uh, he, was, he was doing a tandem cross-country flight, and they were drifting over the, I believe it's the Ocala National Forest uh, so you can go Google that and see see exactly where it is because uh, if you're interested in the story, you'll take an aerial view of that and say, wow, crossing that in a hang glider, that looks kind of scary. Well, it did turn scary. I, I, I noticed that they were getting low and they were right on the edge of that, that uh, just marsh and, and lakes and water and alligators and all these hazards. And I said, boy, they're really in big trouble. I hope they're okay. And the rule in hang gliding is when you're going cross country and covering distance, you try to make sure that you always have a safe landing, you know, landing zone. So you don't continue any further if you don't have that. So if you're getting low and there's some trees, you don't want it to continue to drift. Uh, you want to take the safest landing at that point, and you constantly keep making a check in your mind. Do I have a landing area? And you say that over and over again, and that keeps you safe. Well, this day, I particularly was interested in this 50-mile goal, and I got right near the same spot that they were. They had disappeared, but I, I think, you know, I thought at that time that they were okay. 
I got to the, to the tree line right where the lake started, and I was getting low, and I was thinking about 50 miles, man, and I hit a thermal and started going up and up and up, and I'm drifting, and I, I hit the point of no return. My, my glide ratio wouldn't get me back to the field. It was uh, definitely a bad decision, and the, the thermal fizzled out. I lost my lift. And here I am just gliding and, and looking at zero place to land unless I want to get wet. And uh, there's no guarantees with something like that. That's, that's a bad situation. Wow. So uh, at this point, I'm thinking of my options. I'm thinking maybe I could come over the water. Uh, I could disconnect and, and, and jump in and let the hang glider crash. Uh, I think I was using somebody else's glider that day too, unfortunately. Uh, you know, that was one option. Uh, at that point, I didn't have anything else. I just said a prayer, and I said, God, I need a thermal. And I looked over in the, in the direction of where I had come from, which means, you know, I'd have to fly into the wind, but it was my only sign. I had seen uh, some type of hawk or turkey vulture, and it was pretty far away. But I saw him going up, and to me, I looked up, there was clouds there. I said, that's where the thermal is. That's where the lift is. I said, that's my last chance. And even though I was flying into the wind, the thermal was drifting towards me. So I figured in my mind that would be, you know, my best situation that I would get that lift. Well, I get there and all of a sudden my glider just pushes over on one wing to the side. My, my other wing was basically pointing towards the ground, which at this point is a very good sign because that is a strong, strong thermal. I do the proper maneuver. I do a 180 degree turn and I, I basically plow right into that lifting air. I can feel the nose of the glider lifting up. I'm pulling in so I don't stall the glider. And man, it was an elevator ride like I had never seen before. In, in all my years of flying, I had never been in a thermal that was that strong. It was 1,500 feet per minute going up. Wow. My wings were pointed towards the ground because the thermal was strong and, and narrow. And I spun the glider up uh, to five or 6,000 feet. When I got there, I... I forgot to mention it was probably about 800 feet, which means I'm on the ground in a couple minutes easy uh, or less. And uh, got up to five, 6,000 feet right under a big developing cloud. And I, it just blew my mind. I was so high I could actually see the other side of Florida as I was about in the middle of the state. I could see the Gulf of Mexico. At that point, even though I was excited that I had gotten out of that, I was a little freaked out because I'd never – been in a situation I usually have better judgment uh, I think I might have been a little hungry that day and, and didn't get you know enough food in me and brain wasn't working great and I, I made a decision at that point to to land and just call it quits and, and give up on the 50 mile goal I, I, I kind of thought back to the uh, the other pilot that was flying the tandem and I said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm going to keep going. I want to get 50 miles. So I got the next thermal and climbed up. The day actually started getting a little better, and I kept going on. I flew over them. Believe it or not, they had landed at 49 miles. I had a GPS, and my straight line distance was 49. And I said, well, i got to get 50. So I flew a mile further. I flew to 50, 
and there was no place to land. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so I turned around and flew and landed in the same field that the, the tandem couple, you know, was at, and um, it was forty nine miles. So I, I never hit fifty. I've never gone further. But <laughs> oh, you made fifty one. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to land, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, and by the time you you circle around thermals, you, you add some distance there too, if you knew what that was. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, the the ground distance is what you're talking about. Absolutely. Wow, what a story. I can't imagine what that must have felt like to you know, be just 800 feet up and looking down into trees and rough and no fields and swamps and nowhere to set down and knowing that there's not much time left. Yeah, like I said, the only, the only real plan I had is you can, you can stand up in the control frame, which is like a, a triangle of the hang glider. And you're hooked in with the harness. Everyone thinks you hold on with your hands, but you're actually hooked in with the harness and you're hanging. That's where the name hang, hang gliding comes from. And so you can completely let go and, and you're not going to fall and you don't need arm strength to actually hold you up. You do use some strength turning and, and you know, controlling your pitch. But um, while you're in your harness, you can put your feet on the control bar almost like you're sitting in a swing. And you can control, hold on to the, the down tubes. And at that point, you could theoretically disconnect yourself and continue to fly. And right before you got to the ground, you could drop out, which was, you know, what I was planning on doing. Because I sure wouldn't want to go into the water being connected at that point, especially mm-hmm. in a, such a dangerous place. But, um, yeah, it was terrifying. It was just like, uh, you know, when you see a... Uh, a sequence in a movie where the guy's getting ready to get in an accident and uh, you know you see all the different points of view the rocks are coming the the road's slippery and chaos and lights flashing it was it was kind of like that but uh, I didn't get that far down where it became so real but it, it was real close it was real close well good for you yeah so <laughs> what's the advice here um, make sure that you're within easy striking distance of a place to land at all times. Absolutely. The, the rule that, you know, I had been following all these years, I, I, I just broke it. And if you don't break that rule, uh, you're not going to find yourself in, in a lot of trouble. There's, you know, there's things like power lines. Uh, there's things like, um, you know, bulls. Um, you know, the rule of thumb is if you see only one cow in a field, it's a bull. <laughs> and you have a big red kite and you got a big red kite and they always come over and mess with you it can be very dangerous um but there's power lines there's ground obstructions there's uh tall crops that sometimes are you know maybe you know three or four feet high and when you land in something like that you really drop down a lot there's a lot of ground ha- hazards i don't suggest cross-country flying to the large majority of people who hang glide it's uh, it's not really um, some, you know, somebody has a family and, and a job and things like that. They, they got to be careful because you can really get yourself in trouble. You know, I'm kind of thinking about the, the bigger meaning here. There's a moral to the story, something about going one step too far. I think in most adventure sports, that is the, the wonderlust. And it's also the, the tragedy. You know, if you go one step too far, that's how people get hurt. And, uh, maybe there's a lesson in, just everyday life for that, too. I, I would agree. I, I definitely wasn't tempting fate. I wasn't trying to, um, I wasn't trying to be cocky. I, I, I got excited 
I sure didn't think that I was, you know, the greatest pilot in the world. Um, I, I have heard of a lot of accidents where that is is how it is, where they they're fearless. Uh, they they think they're going to live forever, and unfortunately, that can uh, that can catch up with you. I I was just uh, like I said, maybe a little hungry that day. I, I I realized about halfway as those trees were drifting away that I was committed, so I I stuck with my commitment. Um, that was really the big error right there. But um, at that point where I knew my glide angle was not good enough to get me back, that's that's the moment where I made the mistake. And you had a helping hand. I had a helping hand. I, I said my prayer, and, and it was answered. And I, I like I said, Kurt, I never was in a hang glider that went 1,500 feet per minute up in a thermal. That was the most one of the most amazing things in my life. It, it, it actually changed my life. Earlier, you mentioned that you were working with Kitty Hawk Kites, and our, a lot of our listeners may not know what that is. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Kitty Hawk Kites is, is one of the coolest companies out there. They, they are the authority on, on teaching hang gliding since the early 70s. Uh, they, they do it on the Outer Banks here with the, with the East Coast's largest sand dune. It is uh, a company that has all kinds of action-adventure sports, you name it, kite surfing, um, kayaking, hang gliding, tandem hang gliding, and, and a lot more, you know, much more than I can list here. They give, oh, I, I don't even know the numbers, Kurt, of how many people they've taught to fly, but it's a massive, massive number. Um, they have made more people's dreams come true probably than, than any company in the country involved in something like this. They really have shared it, and they've shared it to people who would never do this, uh, who would never jump off of a mountain or you know, would never do something so daring. It's it's a family adventure. Um, out of those 8,000 people I taught, many of them were children. Many of them were, were wives or girlfriends. Um, the women usually fly better than the, the guys in the beginning, and, and so do the children. It's, uh, it's just a great place where somebody can kind of step out of their comfort zone a tiny little bit. Uh, you're on sand. You only get a few feet off the ground when you're on the sand dunes. And, and you can do this, and uh, you may never want to do it again, but you can check it off your bucket list, and uh, Kitty Hawk Kites does a great job of uh, allowing that to happen. Wow. I'm going to have to go there and do that. That sounds too good to pass up. So you were a flight instructor for 10 years. You were flying for 22 years, but you've taken a, a step to the side for now. What, what are you working on now? <laughs> well, when I stopped teaching hang gliding, I wanted to break out into my own business. Uh, I have a strong background in video production. I actually used to put you know cameras on the hang gliders and and do some really neat hang gliding footage, um, which is something that I love because I get to share my dream with people on on screen. Um, but I've been shooting video since I was a very young person, 12, 13 years old, and so I started a wedding photography and videography company. Uh, my wife's the photographer. Uh, I was the videographer. Now I do both, and, and she actually does both also. And uh, we're going on our 11th season, and, um, you know, when I'm not um, doing a wedding, you know, I'm hang gliding if I can. And I, I got to just share this great story with you. I was on the way to a wedding uh, probably, uh, oh, maybe October of last season, and the east winds were blowing in. It was horrible. And I hadn't flown that day because I was, you know, getting prepared for the wedding. And I had about two hours before I had to get there. So 
I, I stopped by where one of the one of the guys was flying and ran out there and asked him if I could take a quick flight before my wedding. <laughs> took, a, <laughs> took a flight for five minutes in my nice clothes and and uh, landed and and went and did my wedding and it was uh, it got it out of my system for that day. But <laughs> well, that's awesome. You know, it, you say your wedding. Of course, it's the wedding that you're photographing. But I think every groom should do that just to get rid of the jitters before they walk up the aisle. Be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I can just see him uh, in tuxedo and all, right? Uh, not a tux, but I, you know, I look pretty good. Definitely better than I should hang gliding. <laughs> <laughs> so I also understand that you've written an ebook. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, my whole life. I, I always wanted to be an author. I never did a single thing to train myself to get into that you know, to realize that dream. But I, it was just one of those dreams I thought would never happen because I've been doing the photography, you know, videography business for 10 years. We've shot maybe, you know, 500 weddings and 500 family portraits. And we've seen everything you can imagine, you know, in our little area here. And there's a lot of things about having a wedding on the Outer Banks that you want to be able to share with uh, potential clients. So we put it all together, put about 600 hours into it, got some great vendors to contribute some content, got it all put together, had it, had it you know, professionally proofed, and we got a really nice layout. And um, so I'm selling an ebook now. Yeah, it, it came true. Well, let's see. What's the name of your ebook again? It's called The Handbook to the Perfect OBX Wedding. OBX. People need to know what that means. Yeah, that's that's just the the letters for Outer Banks. Uh, somebody had come up with a bumper sticker many years ago, and it just was a, an oval with a black line around it, and it said OBX, kind of like an airport sign. That became, you know, you see those bumper stickers all over the, the world, actually, now. and So Outer Banks, OBX. So the handbook to the perfect Outer Banks wedding. Now, does that include hang gliding weddings? It doesn't. No, I, I'm <laughs> the next edition. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I bet that could be really fun. My, that would my, be cool. my wife Michelle, who's uh, just a phenomenal photographer, she actually is is uh, putting together some uh, brides that are hang gliding pilots and they're going to wear their wedding dresses and we're going to do a photo shoot of them hang gliding in their wedding dresses. So you know what? It's just got to be. We haven't done it yet, but it's, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> That's cool. Well, hey, do you have any discounts or special promotions for our listeners? Um, I do, Kurt. You know, the chances of somebody coming down here from your podcast for weddings are not, it's not huge, but a lot of people visit here uh, and they want to get family portraits uh, taken. Um, so if anybody you know can mention your podcast, I'd like to offer them ten percent off their you know family portrait package, and they just need to go to outerbanksproductions.com or outerbanksfamilyportraits.com. Just send me an email and, and say you know that they heard me and Kurt on your podcast, and we can give them ten percent off. Ten percent off, so they just need to mention the Adventure Sports Podcast. Yes, sir. Very nice. Thank you for that generous offer. So, folks, hey, the Outer Banks, I've been on vacation there two times, and I live in Colorado. It's worth it. It's awesome. And when you go, you might as well get those vacation pictures taken, too. Call Doug up and, and get that 10% discount. 
I appreciate the the opportunity, Kurt. This uh, this has been great. Uh, it's been a while since I've talked about all the things I love about hang gliding, um, and I really enjoyed the opportunity to kind of share that with you and your listeners. And uh, if anybody wants to call me, you know, at at uh, my company, they're welcome to, and I can tell them more about hang gliding. I I've spent many hours on the phone with people, you know, who have uh, wanted to know about hang gliding, and I just share it with them. Fun. One last question. We always want to know how you feel that your sport benefits individuals or society as a whole. Oh, that's uh, wow. That's a challenging question. Uh, I think the way it benefits it, the people uh, is is it, it it gives them an opportunity to experience maybe the things they don't feel at their job: uh, peace and tranquility and freedom. It gives them an opportunity. It, it, it's it's giving people hope. I know stories of some famous hang glider pilots uh, who, before they were uh, pilots, were actually, uh, unfortunately, were suicidal, got into hang gliding and uh, changed their lives, and they're, they're thriving today. This sport has changed people's lives uh, for the positive. Anybody who wants to do something that's just so free and, and natural, and, and it's, a, it's a very green thing to do because there's no motor, there's no gas, you can do this and, and experience that. So I, uh, I just encourage anybody who's, who, who thought they could never do it, go find a place like Kitty Hawk Kites or a place where they have some sand dunes and, and get a couple feet off the ground and see if it's something you love. Um, the people who are attracted to the sport many times are engineers. Those are the, um, a, a large portion of the people in the sport. Uh, women do very well. Strength does become an issue sometimes. So, you know, being in, you know, fit really helps if you actually want to become a pilot. But anybody who wants to just try it, get a couple feet off the ground, anybody can do it. Uh, I think, you know, generally the weight limit is, you know, 220, 230 pounds. Anybody from a young kid to an older person, uh, we've had people with disabilities, blind people, autistic people, you name it men, women, kids, they've all done it. And um, I can't tell you how many times after 10 years of doing it that people hug me and thank me for helping their dreams come true. Um, I'll I'll never forget it. I love it. You know, I used to teach inner city kids sport repelling, and I think I get get what you're talking about. You know, we get so scattered by the day-to-day pressures, by the entertainment industry, music, noise, cars, stress of school, stress of work, you know, you lose focus, and sometimes you just need to do the real thing, whatever that is. And boy, these kids, I would take them out to repel for the first time, and they would stand at the top of a 100-foot cliff, a 150-foot cliff, and and they just, they're like, no, you can't do this. But they would overcome that fear, understanding the training and the ropes and, and just you could see that inner struggle, but when they got to the bottom of the rope, I should say to the bottom of the cliff, the to the ground, and the smile, the joy, the the hugs, you know, they couldn't believe that they pulled it off. And what I think is so fascinating about this, whether it's hang gliding or sport rappelling or mountain biking or even downhill skiing, it takes focus, and all the clutter just melts away, and the focus comes. And that is so therapeutic. It's just a beautiful thing. So I think it's fantastic. I think everyone should try something like this. I do. And, and 
if somebody's listening to this and they think that they can't do it, I never had a student out of 8,000 people that couldn't do it. I, I got everyone in the air. Um, people always say, well, how many people did you break bones? Uh, at a 40,000 flight, I had one person break a bone on a fourth lesson. They completely disregarded my instructions. I said, pull in. Many times, screamed it. They pushed out, and they went up, installed, and came down, and unfortunately, he broke his wrist. Um, but that's, uh, you know, and a few bumps and bruises here and there, but uh, really, really clean safety record. I was, I was able to be a part of uh, much success with that. So anyone could do it. It's neat. Doug, thank you very much for your time today. One more time now, tell us how our listeners can get a hold of you. If they want to talk about family portraits or weddings or get more information about hang gliding, how can they reach Doug Haber? The best way is through the internet, through uh, contacting our main website, which is outerbanksproductions.com. And there's a bunch of S's in there, so make sure you remember those. And our family portrait website is outerbanksfamilyportraits.com. Dot com. Also, like I said, if they mention the podcast, we can give them 10% off their family portraits. And uh, if anybody wants to call and talk to me about hang gliding, I would love it. Thanks, Doug. It's been a pleasure, Curtis. Thank you for having us on. Well, friends, this has been another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you for being with us today. And until the next podcast, get out there and have some fun. 